Hello everyone and welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and I'm here with my husband and co-host Jeremy and today we are talking to Demma. Hope you guys are ready because this is a jam-packed episode where we cover a lot. We start with self-expression and confidence and Demma share how taking dance lessons from a young age really helped her to get comfortable with her body and just to express herself as she wanted. Then we talk about her childhood, her teen years where she was a kind of rebellious child. We talk about her tattoos, she has many and she's got a pretty funny story about how she got her first tattoo in a garage. Don't do that guys. (laughs) How she also didn't tell her parents for four years because she was scared of the reactions. And actually make sure to listen to the episode because how her mother found out about the tattoo is a pretty good story, you'll see. We also cover a career in the music and events industry. We talk about music festival and creating magical experiences for guests and in life in general. So yeah, a lot of things we talked about, a lot of reflecting in life in general. Enjoy the show. Demer, welcome to the show. Hi guys, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So excited about this episode. Uh, We were talking before pressing start and I know you're a little bit nervous but it's gonna be all okay uh, and I think I'm gonna start with that because it's, it's super interesting I've always so we met at Daybreaker and I've always known you as this really joyful extrovert dancing in the middle wearing fancy clothes twerking twerking in the middle of the room just really confident <laughs> badass woman I didn't expect you to be nervous to record this episode with us it's interesting <laughs> yeah absolutely um i think this happens to me a lot i also want to say that i think this podcast is like the best advertisement for daybreaker i feel like every person <laughs> you have interviewed is like if you don't know what daybreaker is you should really go we're, we're the yeah. best uh <laughs> the best advertisement for daybreaker but um yeah you know i i think i um i grew up a dancer so uh when you dance you're on stage but you don't really have to speak you know so i i learned a certain type of confidence on stage but i would never felt comfortable actually speaking on stage so public speaking always freaked me out reading out loud always freaked me out um anything requiring my voice has always made me nervous because like i was saying to rosie before that um i just have this fear of not sounding eloquent of not sounding sounding poetic. I don't think I'm necessarily the most fancy with my vocabulary. So, um, you know, I, I get nervous whenever we, I have to we use not my neither. voice. You're talking to us too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like my best friend, Carlos, that you guys know too, like, ah, oh, man, he's just like a poet when he, spe- he speaks. Yeah. Always. Yeah. <sighs> but know? he's always nervous before speaking. Yeah. You see? So, I mean, I, I think it goes back to the same thing. Yeah. I think we always have this nerve. And like you said, I think it's something that's important. It's something that keeps you confident on your toes, present. I think nerves are something that keep you um, within the moment. If you are if you don't have that fear, you kind of lack um, the ability to stay on your toes. And it's like everything. It's like a muscle. You just have to practice. And it's okay to be nervous. And, and I don't even... I mean, I do wonder sometimes if people like... I mean, the big speakers... I'm pretty sure they get nervous a little bit, but it's just they are okay with it and they don't let the fear scare them away. It's like use the the stress to be, I guess, fired up even more or 
you know, it's just a way. I don't think I wouldn't. I wouldn't say control it, but use it as your own advantage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would love to ask, you know, a famous speaker and to really say, is this something that still happens or not? Because, um, yeah, I mean, up to this point, I still definitely get nervous. I chose once to uh, recite a poem uh, at a spoken word event uh, because I wanted to put myself in the position to work on that muscle, like you were saying. I wanted to practice not being afraid. And I mean, I read it. I think it was a great poem, but I read it like this the whole time (laughs) and my voice. And um, I don't know if people could hear me, but just to just the practice alone of choosing to actually go in front of a crowd and read out loud was terrifying for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it it is a scary thought when, you know, people are like, who wants the mic? Who want to say a word? Mm, Nope. (laughs) Not me. Yeah. Yeah. usually get the same people getting the mic every time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And uh, yeah, you know, you have to also learn to give a little more space for the people that maybe uh, don't speak up. You know, mm-hmm. I uh, in college, I was I was doing a leadership challenge. So I was part of an organization in college that it taught you different types of personalities. So we did the Meyer Briggs personality test. And we learned about all of the different personalities and how to basically interact best with them, how to be a leader. Mm. So it kind of taught you how extroverts are. They're the first ones to grab the mic. They're, they're going to be the ones with the first decisions, you know. But you still have to allow for the introverts to have a chance to speak. Uh, how do you create an environment where they feel comfortable to speak? Um, you know, how do you pass along the talking stick in a room? How do you feel, how do you make a room feel like everybody has been heard? It was super interesting. Interesting. Mm. That's something that would be useful for a lot of people probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a good skill to have. Absolutely, yeah. It was really interesting because, you know, when we, we would do some sort of like retreats and stuff like that, and they taught us in the back end that as a facilitator, if you see that somebody is too extroverted or always has the mic, Uh, Not that that's a good or bad thing at all. It's just a personality type, you know, you can actually incorporate it into your challenges. So you can say, oh, um, I would love to hear only from Rosie, Andrew and Katie now, which are the interviewed people, you know, and so then you're instantly it's part of the challenge. So now it's like, oh, I'm not shushing this person. I'm just creating a challenge I'm changing the dynamic in the event. And now you get to hear these other people speak up in a way that's very respectful, that doesn't feel, um, you know, doesn't feel like you're quieting someone and you're asking someone else to step forward. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's all about creating a safe, respectful space for everyone to join, I guess, and and not scare anyone away. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that's what extroverts do. Extroverts try to... um, to put put all of their ideas out first. They're not the best, but I, not always the best. They can be, yeah. you know. But um, I think, at least for me, as an intro- extrovert, what I really feel is like I want to put out all the ideas to give other people ideas, you know. So maybe my idea is not that great, but it'll spark the other introverted ideas or extroverted ideas to say, yes, and, but let's do this too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes that's why... I, I speak a lot or I grab the mic or I give my ideas because it's just like I just want to be the first one so other people can bounce off of that. It doesn't have to be my decision or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. So to keep going into this 
expression topic. Um, like we said before, I, I Daybreaker, like I've seen you wearing very fancy, even sometimes provocative out- outfit, uh, having, I think, Carlos on a leash. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember that one at some point. Uh, yes. <laughs> you, you're really... I mean, every time I see you in your stories on on Instagram, you're twerking. You are... <laughs> <laughs> Even if you say you're working. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I hope my boss doesn't hear this. <laughs> you are also... Actually, it's really interesting. You talk a lot about sex, stuff like that. So you're really, like, open. Yeah. I don't feel you have a lot of filters, and I might be wrong about that. Maybe it's too much, but... Um, how how or where is this sense of being yourself and being okay with where you're coming from yeah um i think that's a great question for sure um like i said i think a lot of this stems from when i was a dancer you know i started belly dancing which alone is a provocative sexual dance right um it, belly dance actually started with the idea that you, you learned it within a woman's circle, so it was taught among generations. And then you would you would um, perform a belly dance only for your husband on the night of your wedding. So it was actually meant as a way for you to learn your femininity with along with other women um, so that you could grow up to be a confident, a confident woman. And then, um, you know, you would eventually pass on what you had learned to your husband only for your husband. Obviously, through so many years, belly dance has changed. It's been westernized. It became an art form. So people started to perform it regularly. But that's the basis of it. So I was dancing at a very young age, belly dance. So, you know, I was always in a, in a skirt and a little bra. And I was dancing by myself on stage at eight years old. I think that helped me so much with my confidence. That helped me so much with the relationship with my body. Um, and I also, at the same time, did flamenco. And flamenco is the opposite. Flamenco is um, long skirt to the ankles, stern, force, uh, strong, you know. Yeah. So um, at the same time, I learned how to be very dynamic. I learned how to be a very firm, no smiling, strong dancer, and also a very fluid, wiggly um smiley character at all at the same time at a very young age mm. so i think that kind of helped me a lot with um being the person that i am today my confidence you know how i carry myself um the relationship that i have with my body um i think it's all very very healthy and i think that's one of the biggest things that helped me growing up um so yeah and is that something you've been because you said you started at eight years old is that something you've been nurturing all over the years through your teen years and stuff like that? Um, no. So I did it from, I was three, I started when I was three and I did it until I was about like 12 and then on and off until I was about 16. Um, and then I, I have picked up a couple of classes here and there, you know, but as I got older, I, my changes and hobbies, you know, they, they, my interests and hobbies, they changed, you know? So I uh, started to play soccer, but I still always danced, but it was different dancing. And then, you know, you start going out and then it's just bar dancing, the two-step, the Cuban (laughs) shuffle, whatever, you know? Um, But my roots definitely come from there for sure. 
And you've been doing twerking classes, right? I saw that recently on your stories as well. Yeah, yeah. That's so did. much fun. I did. Um, She's jealous so, Yeah, no, please. I, I'm, I'm willing to teach and I'm willing to uh, go to class together. Yeah, I did start mm-hmm. taking classes together with a woman here called the Yellows. Um, and it was my very good friend, Janelle, who said, you know, I really want to go to this thing, but like, I'm so nervous. Like you, people think of twerking and they're like, oh my God, I could never, you know, mm-hmm. I could never. Um, but it's the same thing. Like it's a room full of, of women there to support women. It's a room of a bunch of different women. You say, you see thick girls, you see thin girls, you see a girl with no butts, you see girls with super big fake butts and everything is okay in that room. Everything is acceptable in that room, you know? And we're all there for the same thing. We're all there to learn how to dance. We're all there to have a good time. We're all there to boost our confidence, to feel sexy. And I don't think there's anything better than that. And that's why I love twerking. And that's why I love perreo parties because I've actually had people ask me a lot about this. It's another amazing party to anybody listening. (laughs) Um, It's called the perreo party. Uh, happens by Out of Service Miami, uh, which is the page. And uh, it's just an old school reggaeton party. It's just a bunch of women, mostly. Obviously, there's guys there with their their partners or guys that go alone. But they've done such a good job of creating a respectful place that is still a great party, a great time. But it is girls with knee pads on the floor, all, all fours, you know, upside down uh, against a wall, you know, trains of 20 girls, you know, <laughs> and it sounds terrifying, but literally when I'm there, all, all I see is just a bunch of confident, liberating, free girls, literally just having a great night where they're supporting each other's bodies. They're supporting each other's movements. It, it's, it's so liberating and primal. I think a lot of us are missing that primal sense of, you know, of ceremony, of dance, of feeling free within our own bodies, of feeling the ability to c- conquer the temple that our soul holds us in, you know? I mean, our bodies are literally something temporary in this lifetime. And the more that we're connected to it, the more that we're able to live within it. You know, I think there's a lot of people that live with fear and lack of confidence in their bodies. And so dance mainly helps you with that. Have you ever tried pole dancing? Because that's sort of in the same realm as twerking, where it's kind of seen as a sexual thing, where it's actually just dancing and fitness. Have you ever tried that? Uh, so this is actually really interesting. My roommate uh, was oh, I remember. so good, oh, uh, exceptional at pole dancing. And when I moved in with her, her one her one request was our living room needs to be completely empty except for the pole <laughs> and i, was I like, remember when sure. you came to yours yeah <laughs> yeah so i was like sure we can do that sure um and she tried to teach me a little bit it requires an insane amount of strength yeah mm-hmm. and i have noodle arms <laughs> i i i still can't do a push-up so it wasn't for me um and also for me with pole dance, this is just my opinion. I think it's an unpopular opinion. For me, I think certain pole dances are like too sexual for me. Um, I think it's a beautiful choreography to dance, but I actually prefer like what I consider my definition of something that's sexual or sensual is something that's actually more subtle, you know? Mm-hmm. So. I think belly dancing is a more subtle way because you're moving your body in a more artistic form versus like 
split and, 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 and stretch. And, you know, yeah. um, it's just, it's, it's not my personal favorite, you know, but I think it's beautiful. It's definitely an art form. And it, I think it's the hardest sport out there. I don't even think it's about choreography. It's literally a sport. Um, but yeah, for me, like my definition of, of, of pure sensuality, what turns me on the most as a woman is definitely something like belly dancing or like mo like movement, like on the floor movement, free, free form movement, um, that type of stuff. You said earlier about um, twerking being quite primal and people not really being in touch with that side of themselves. Have you ever done, what's that yoga where it's very primal? You do like um, gorilla moves and lions. What's that one that oh, we did at Daybreak? Something flow. Uh, but Budokan. Yes. Budokan, yeah. I was part of the gym. Yeah, I was part of the gym before they moved over to Montana. Um, it's, it's an exceptional gym. The entire philosophy that they have is it's a very mental gym. It's not only about the way that you move. So yeah, they do a lot of like animalistic flow and that's that was the free form movement that I'm talking about. It's kind of hard to explain to people if, if they don't yeah. see it, but it's a lot of like floor work. You know, you're rolling on the floor, you're kind of like stretching out, doing inversions on the floor, but it's beautiful. Like uh, Melaine Shane, who's um, you know the co-founder of that um, of that gym, she's the reason why I wanted to go to that gym because I started to see her on Instagram and seeing her roll on the floor like that, just the movements that she has, it's literally like a dance in such a creative and artistic way that I had never, um, I had never felt like a, an excitement in my heart uh, with something new like that since belly dance, you know? Um, and I mean, if you see her move, it's just fantastic. She literally looks like, um, like a, a, an animal and then a slinky and then you know she turns and and everything it's it's about how how um intentional can i be at at the full moment you know so it's not only about stretching but it's when i do stretch how do i pass my hand over as i'm stretching you know how do my fingers look how do my toes look are they stretched are they flexed that is is a completely different type of body awareness that i didn't have before i started the gym mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. Where do you think you you mentioned before that it'd be good if people would be a bit more in touch with their primal side and who they are and how they feel with their body? Do you, I, I don't know. Like personally, I think is that the reason people are not like that is uh, because of the way we are conditioned about how we're supposed to behave in society. Like we, we have so much like formal things we should be doing, look a certain way, act a certain way and stuff like that. Like, do you think that's the root cause or I don't know what, what's your thought on that? I, I think there has a lot to do about it. You know, um, I think upbringing mainly, it depends on, you know, how much, mm. what was a person brought up with shame in regards to moving in regards to, you know, uh, t tattoos, taboo topics, sex, you know, yeah um upbringing society where a person is from all of these things have you know differences uh in how a person relates to their bodies or to how the way to topics that anybody is willing to talk about yeah. um but I, I really think that it doesn't have to be twerking you know twerking's not your thing but i definitely think a form of dance a form of art 
really helps you just get more in tune with your body. You know, for anybody, anybody to pick up something that's re relatively artistic, I think that's such a good place to start. You know, um, whether it's an online belly dance class, like don't even do it to be in a show. Don't even do it to post it on your Instagram. Do it at home. Like that's the, that's one of the most amazing things that the pandemic has given us is a bunch of online opportunities now that you can do. So even though you're really nervous, you can learn how to twerk online now and in your own home, you know, and then all of a sudden one day you're confident and you're like, oh, I'm going to take this out to the club, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but so it's funny you say that because during the pandemic last year, like I said to Jeremy, I'm going to learn how to twerk during this damn lockdown. <laughs> and so yeah. I put on YouTube, like twerking classes. And literally, I'm the worst dancer of any form of dancing. But I find it like, it was literally like slow movement, like in and out. And then do it faster and faster. I was like, oh my God, I'm twerking. And I was so yeah. proud of myself. We've been able to twerk, like the most basic twerk, but like nothing good. But remember, I was so oh, yeah. proud of myself. And Jeremy was like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm telling you. And... and I, I think that's like the beauty, the beautiful wonderment of always doing something new is like, I feel a lot of the time we're not surprised by ourselves. We, we get so stuck in the everyday motion of life, right? We work, we're tired, we have to make breakfast. Maybe we have a child, you know, maybe we live with our parents and they're asking us to do chores around the house or whatever. You know, there's always life, there's always the busyness of life that we forget, oh my God, I haven't, I haven't belly left today. You know, mm -hmm. I haven't surprised myself today. So though, doing those small little things, even if you, even if you never show them to anyone else, that, that small moment of wonderment where you're like, look, Jeremy, it's finally moving. <laughs> you know, you guys both get a laugh out of it and you're surprised at yourself because you've seen progress. Those are such magical moments that I really feel are missing in life. I really feel like people aren't, putting themselves in the positions enough to do that, to have those experiences. And that's what makes life magical. Yeah. I also think it's great to be a beginner at something, to have never done something before and to be like, I'm gonna try this new thing and just be a complete beginner. Because I think people get too settled in doing what they're doing and knowing what they're doing and knowing that they're good at what they're doing and not ever stepping out of the comfort zone and trying something new and trying something different that they're a complete beginner in and kind of pushing themselves out of that comfort zone. Well, speaking of which, during quarantine, you started documenting your skating, I think is the right word, journey. I did, yeah. Um, and I, that's such a good point. Um, I'm actually reading a book right now on emotional intelligence. And I think like the number two thing of how to tell if a person is really high in emotional intelligence is always knowing that somebody out there is better than you at something. Every person that you meet is better mm -hmm. at you than something. Um, and that's the beginner's mindset. You know, the beginner's mm -hmm. mindset is to always be humble, regardless of how far you've come or where where you come from or everything that you may know. Uh, it helps you approach people with more grace. It helps you approach people with more patience, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I did. I qu quarantine hobby. I picked up the skates. Um, and, you know, I fell off because I just really don't like posting on Instagram. I mm -hmm. I, I would love to be a content creator. I would need to hire somebody to do the content creating for me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I fell off, but I still skate. Definitely. I'm still practicing. It was just so hard to like edit videos every single day. But, um, to this day, skating is one of the hardest things I've ever learned. Mm. It's so hard. It is so hard. It's definitely what something you have to do every single day to improve. Um, because, 
your little baby deer on the skates. You know, if you fall, it's a hard fall. There, there are wheels attached to your feet. It's not a skateboard. You can't jump off and, you know, a board mission. No, it's like you're, are, you are falling on these skates. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's always important to do something new, to try something and not just to try something once and to say, oh, you know, that, that was it, but to really stick with it. Even if you're terrible for a year, you know, I think that's so good for mental resilience too. Mm-hmm. If you, yeah. if you're doing something for so long and you're still not great at it, but just the, the ability, the determination to say, you know what, I'm going to still jump rope, even if I'm whipping myself every single day still, <laughs> you know? And even just the, for the sake of doing something repeatedly for like one year, doing something like for 365 times, uh, you're building a habit, you're building consistency, you're building, what's the word I'm looking for? Discipline. And that's going to be something useful in other areas of your life. Even if at the end you stop doing whatever it is that you did, uh, you, you it's going to be valuable in your life for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such a great um, topic, too, you know, because I actually think I struggle a lot with discipline. I do. Mm. Um, I struggle a lot with doing things every single day. Um, I consider myself a conscious being, but I definitely don't have a morning routine. I tried the journaling every day and I tried the meditating every day, first thing in the morning, then my green juice, then the book that, you know, and oh, my God, every time I tried, it was just like the biggest failure i'm like i'm not made for morning routine right um it's totally fine yeah um but yeah i I just kept reading books and self-help books and self-betterment and hearing what all my friends were doing and it's like jesus i cannot wake up in the morning do 30 minutes of yoga then meditate then light my candles and read and oh my gosh and so i i asked myself i was like how how can i incorporate the same things without having this super insane regime that makes me afraid to approach every morning, you Mm. know? And so I started finding little things. And so I'm like, okay, let me just start being intentional, okay? So my day kind of looks like this, right? I wake up, I try to meditate in the morning at least because that definitely does make a difference. But if I don't, anytime that I work out, before I work out, I meditate then. I'm already on the mat. It's so e- it's so much easier to just do it. Or after, when I'm stretching, you know, the last 15 minutes, I'll sit and I'll meditate. It's also easier for me to meditate at night, right before bed, right? It helps you get into the little flow, whatever the case is. When I'm, every time that I get in my car, I take three deep breaths and I tell myself, just allow me to get to my destination safe, allow for everybody around me to get to their destination safe. I'm, I, I'm, creating a little white bubble of protection within my car and to everybody else. And I wish everybody that I pass in my car well, right? And so instantly that puts me in a safer, safer environment and a safer energy, but that also helps me be more intentional, right? Mm -hmm. When I get in the shower, it's, can I please wash away things that don't serve me anymore? Can I please wash away, um, you know, the day, the stress of the day, whatever the case is. I love to get in the zone when I'm washing dishes. When I'm washing the dishes, it's like I'm washing away struggles or or stress or whatever, mm. you know? So I'm finding these little small things to do every day versus having this super strict, insane morning regime yeah. that I need to follow because I just wasn't for me. So I found a discipline in a, in a different 
in a different creative way than having to do yeah the checklist and checking yeah. the boxes every morning before 9 a.m otherwise whatever yeah right do it your exactly way. exactly mm. so um i think sometimes we just need to be a little creative you know if, if you're if you're not a morning person don't try and change that like then be the best night owl that you could be you know and um i think a lot of people sometimes struggle with uh you know trying to find their own discipline trying to find their own um you know regime but sometimes mm -hmm. you can chop it up into 25 pieces and throw it into your day you know yeah <laughs> so i'd like to go back to uh you and your story a little bit and and maybe just go back to can you tell us where are you from and your origins because i know you're a multicultural <laughs> woman yeah woman being. i'm a i'm a mutt i'm a mutt for sure <laughs> um, um i was born and raised here in miami uh, my parents are costa rican and el salvadorian my dad is costa rican my mom is el salvadorian and uh, my grandparents were dutch mm. yeah so i got a very good mix <laughs> Your, European, Latin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and growing up, uh, did your parents slash family to stay abroad, um, did they create this safe, supportive environment for you to express yourself and, and not be stuck in a box by the society as we just talked before? That's a great question. Um, I, I, I feel in many ways, yes. You know, I think everybody has this uh, different type of concept with their parents. Obviously, when, when you're growing up, you view your parents very differently versus once you're a little bit older, you can go back and analyze and say, oh, that was for the best or whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but I, I was a, actually a very rebellious child. So I think I found more self-expression within my rebellion than um, I did with necessarily the platform that my parents gave me. Uh, I think one of the best things that my parents have done for me, like I said, is put me into dance. By my mom doing that for me, I mean that it, anything, whenever someone asks me, how can you be crazy in the middle of the dance floor? How, you know, how do you exude some sort of confidence that I see? It all stems from me being a dancer when I was young. Like it, it always goes back to that. So I'm so grateful for, to my mom for giving me that. Um, growing up, my mom was a little bit more like the, the firm parent. My dad is a little more like who saw Zen, uh, you know, definitely a hippie in the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had a good balance between my parents growing up. Um, so I think my dad helped me a lot when I was, when I was getting older, um, on having a little bit more of a less restrictive, um, mindset. But, uh, when I was 16, my mom turned Buddhist. Mm. Oh, yeah so um we we grew up a catholic household right um and uh i did all the things i did first communion and uh i don't even remember the next one baptism baptism communion confirmation i did the whole thing um and when my when i was 16 i was struggling in high school i didn't have the best uh, high school experience because i was going to a christian school so not even my religion but close enough and um, my mom started to read a bunch of books on Judaism and Kabbalah. And I remember an anger that came in for me. Who, who are you to change our household? Who, mm. who are you to, 
to, to change everything that I've always known, right? What am I supposed to do? How do I even relate to you? Like if you're, if you're going out and exploring, right? That was my 16 year old brain. Um, and my mom eventually found and chose Buddhism. And um, my mom brought me to an event once. And, uh, at, you know, at the time, my mom and I had a very um, tensioned, tensioned uh, relationship. I think that happens a lot with teenage daughters and moms. Uh, I, I think it's it, it's like a rite of passage, right? Like you, for some reason, it's just like the womanhood comes in and you're like, yeah. oh, this anger. I hate this person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think I think all women can relate to that in a sense. But um <laughs> So yeah, so she took me to my first Buddhist event and I, you know, I was sitting there 16 years old on the cushion and it's just a bunch of people sitting down humbling and you're like, oh my God, am, am I watching a, a monk or am I watching an exorcism? I don't know. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, after that, I remember uh, the monk that was there, he realized that I was very resistant to be there. Uh, he was definitely not, uh, he could definitely feel that I was not interested. And he sat down with me after and he just asked me very like interesting questions like, why did you feel restrictive? How do you feel about it now? Um, and just the way that he was so open and willing to talk to me after the fact, although I was super restrictive, mm. it, it was like a little seed and the seed had just popped open and created a little stem, you know? And, uh, yeah, I started to go to more events with my mom. I started to meditate with my mom. And um, I just, I still love many of the aspects of Buddhism. The fact of, you know, finding your own internal source of happiness, uh, you know, ridding yourself of, of attachments, of suffering, um, all of the different mantras and what they mean. Um, so after that, you know, the, the combination of my mom turning Buddhist, me getting older, you know what I mean? Uh, also my rebellion stage kind of helped me to, to flow and to get out of that. Mm. It's interesting because it's not the classical story of a Latin family that you hear most of the time, you know, uh, usually like, I would say like the dad is the one who's going to be restricting the daughter. And so it's super interesting that you had a, well, just unusual, uh, childhood this on this way. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that definitely comes from the European stems of my dad. You know, I think mm. uh, like my, my dad's upbringing makes so much sense to me. You know, my, my dad grew up with European parents, um, but living in Costa Rica. And Costa Rica right. back then was still jungle, you know. So <laughs> my dad was basically like with him and his brother and sister, like in the middle of nowhere, Costa Rica, the, you know, going to waterfalls every single day. Yeah, as and, free as you can be. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so I, I think, and also I think Europeans are a little more, you know, open-minded and, you know, um, a little more forward-thinking. So also that experience probably was different for my dad. Especially you know? Dutch people. I would not put all the European in the same bag. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say D Dutch specifically. That's a good point. But yeah, yeah you know, and, and my mom, she grew up uh, in El Salvador with uh, a, a general uh, military a father. So my mm. grandfather is in the military. So, um, you know, I, not only do I analyze my life and the way that I have grown, but I like to analyze the stories that my parents tell me because I can say, oh, well, now I understand why 
um, your parenting style was this way, or that's why I, I feel I had felt when I was younger, when I was a kid, why, why I felt this restrictiveness from my parents or why I felt a very certain way from my parents. It makes sense. Once you start to hear more about their life story and how they grew up, it makes more sense on how you are, you know? It's so interesting when you finally realize that your parents are just people as well. <laughs> oh, isn't it the weirdest? Isn't that the weirdest <laughs> thing when you're like, oh my God, they were once children and they did these things and they're just trying to teach me, you know, from their mistakes and they have feelings and they're just trying their best. And yes, they still make mistakes. That's a huge one that parents make mistakes. And they went through some yeah. shit as well that they're dealing with. Yeah. And stuff like yeah. That. It's so interesting when you find yeah. that like, I don't know, when you make that switch in your brain, you're like, oh yeah. Yeah, it's that uh, it's the superhero complexity, right? Where it's like when you're growing up, it's the mommy and daddy, right? It's like these two people are your world, right? Um, the best people then, in yeah. the entire world. And they oh, know always, everything. Always. And they, you know, and they know everything. And then you grow up, and like you said, it's one day to the next. It's that switch of, oh my gosh, they're they're adults too. Yeah. And like, man, I'm an, I'm an adult, but I look around the room looking for an adult, you know. And um, my mom actually always tells me, she's like, I'm still 16. Just the way people have responded to me reminds me of my age. Yeah. But I am still 16, yeah. you know? And oh, um, wow. I think we can relate to that. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm not even that old yet, but I definitely still feel younger. I don't, yeah. you know, I, I'm wiser. I have more experiences, but. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think about that sometimes. I remember when I was younger, like a kid or a teen, and when when I saw someone that was like 33, which is the age I'm right now, it's like I thought they had shit figured out. And now I'm 33, I'm like, I, I, I know a bit more, but I'm as confused and lost about life as I was 10 years ago. It's the same shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a realization for that too. Uh, you know, the the grand old Thanksgiving dinners, you know? And uh, I had an uncle or a family friend, cause he's not actually related to me, but a family friend. And uh, finally I was a- an adult, quote unquote adult. And so I was finally having quote unquote adult conversations with, you know, I was no longer sitting at the kids table. I was sitting at the, the grown ups table now mm-hmm. at this family Thanksgiving dinner. And I remember just asking this family friend, like, how are you doing? How, how's, how's your life? What do you even do? Cause I'm not even sure. And he just stopped and stared for a little while. And he just said, you know, I really can't tell you that I'm sure that I did life correct. I did all the things. I got the job. I married. I did the kids. I don't regret that at all. Hmm. But I wonder if it was right. Because wow. I've, I've, I'm now 50 years old. And I can't necessarily say that I'm happy or fulfilled with what I've done. That must be eye-opening as a young adult to have somebody say that to you and be like, oh, shit, so they did all the things you're supposed to do and they're still not happy or fulfilled. That must have yeah, been, you know, I don't know, eye-opening. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that was one of those moments where it's like a little flip where you say, man, uh, yeah, people don't have it figured out and that's okay. And I don't think I don't think life is about sitting around and waiting until everything is okay. It's really about juggling the good, the bad, the messy, you know. There's always something happening in life. You, you, you always you're getting promoted in your job. It's an it's amazing, but also there's family problems in your in your life. You know, someone that you know is sick, or now you have to take care of someone, or 
or whatever the case is, or I'm not feeling good about my body. You know, I'm working so much that I've neglected my body, whatever the case is. I, I don't think, I, I feel like a lot of people are waiting until life, all the, all the things are in line, you know, that I'm building, I'm building a tower of blocks and they're going to make it, but it, it's really more just a constant room of blocks on the floor. <laughs> That you just have to juggle and play with and see what you just happens. Gotta juggle. Yeah, exactly. That's so true. <laughs> so you're now, and you've been working in the music slash event industry for a few years. How did you get into that? Is that a consequence of the dancing, going to club life? Or how did you get into it? Uh, yeah, that's actually an interesting question. Um, I was actually studying finance in college. Um, and I, <laughs> maybe it was after this conversation, this Thanksgiving conversation. Um, I started to think of finance and I just, I literally just saw gray cubicle hunched over in front of my laptop for the rest of my life. When you, you know? say that, I was like, I don't <laughs> picture, I'm trying to see Demer in a financial thing, yeah. like, no. <laughs> um, yeah. And to be honest, I if I could go back and give myself advice, I would have said, finish your finance degree and get into events. Because mm. I still, everything that I've learned in events has been um, from on site, from actually being there. You know, I, I have a very organizational mind. I have I have a lot of common sense that already rubs well with that. Um, but yeah, I, I I just at the time I didn't see a future in finance, which now I regret because honestly, like I all of my friends that are in finance are doing great and they work from home and like lovely, you know. Um, yeah, but would you be happy? <clears throat> we don't know, right? I mean, it, there's no right or wrong decision in life. There's only right and left. So the only thing about your right and left decision is that you'll, you never know how the other side went. Yeah. We don't, yeah. we don't know if it's harder or easier, but we decided to make a decision and now we have to live with that decision. Um, so I, I also think I could be in finance and I think I could have found happiness, right? With, I, in other things. But so I was studying finance. Uh, I went through a really tough time. I wasn't in a very good state of mind. Uh, I had, Somebody I was dating in the past at that time uh, got into a, a very serious motorcycle accident and uh, I had to tend for them, take care of them. So I was going to college and, you know, I was coming home and I was being a nurse and I was being a cook and, uh, you know, I was so young and I was dealing with all the stuff that wow. after that had happened, I said, oh, my God, I just need to do something that's going to make me happy. Mm. So um, I had a friend that told me, you're super good at logistics. You like music. Uh, why don't you get into it? Like, you know, at FIU, there's something called um, Summerfest, I think. And it's basically like a campus festival. And it's run by people. It's run by the students. Right. I never got into it because I was too late into my college years. But he said he was part of it. And he's like, why don't you do something like that? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I switched to hospitality um, in the seeking of going into music festivals. I wanted to work for music festivals. I wanted to be a part of the wonderment and excitement of creating amazing experiences for people. Like people go to festivals to, and it's the best weekend of their lives. Yeah. You know, the amount of creativity that you see, the freedom, the same thing, the costumes, the dancing, the high fives, you know, people live for that because it's amazing the creativity and beauty that you see. Mm. 
why do you think people go to Burning Man? Like you, you have Google CEOs that are going to Burning Man in nipple tassels, you know, like it, it's a necessity. People yeah. need this. People need this. Um, so yeah, I start, I started working in music festivals. I grinded and hustled my way a lot. I worked three jobs at sometimes, and I've been really honored to, to, to get to know the industry and, um, to, to work here now with, with my new job, which I'm very happy with. But it was always the plan to be in, in music and part of the creativity of giving experiences to people. Would you ever like to create your own music festival? No. No? Um, <laughs> one day, uh, I, I did, I did. But uh, to be honest, fest music festivals are so expensive. Mm. So expensive. Um, they are really, really hard to, um, to make flourish and, and stay around for a long time. Um, but I would love to be always be involved. I would love to be a creative director, uh, for all the different like experiences and the wonderment. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to start a company based on creating magic. Okay, so you working for Daybreaker with Jojo makes complete sense. And when she creates her <laughs> festival, you can be the creative director person and help her with that because that's just, that's going to yeah, be magic. So, uh, let me just share like a couple of magical experiences that I've had because these have stuck with me so much because I think not only have they changed uh, my view on on creative, the people that do this creatively in music festivals, but also in life like the intentionality that you can have in life uh, if you apply these same things. Uh, there's somebody that explains um, that he absolutely loves the trash cans at Disney. <laughs> right? And, he, Interesting. and like? he's like, he's, oh, they're, they're all like characters or okay. the, you know, so if you're in the futuristic area of Disney, they're, the trash cans are futuristic looking. If oh. you're in the, if you're in, um, the Jurassic Park section, they're like meshed out and whatever, you know, okay. like hidden within the vegetation. And he mentioned, he's like, Disney is already so magical, mm -hmm. but they had so much intention to not only pay attention to an underground world for the staff, um, you know, always having wonderment and magical. And, and if I, if I wave my wand, uh, a little, light appears and everything it's not just the magic of the rides but it's also the full experience of just walking yeah. around he's like somebody cared enough to not only stop there but say every single trash can also needs to be intentional mm. you know damn i have chills i love that <laughs> but yeah like it's so beautiful it's so beautiful for somebody to care to that extent right yeah, yeah. so one music festival experience that i had I was sitting in a dark corner with a friend of mine and we were just like resting and two, a couple came up to us, two people came up to us, the man in a full tuxedo and a woman in a long dress gown. Okay. And high heels. Like you're not dressed like this for a music festival, even if you want it to be. And they came out of nowhere. They came out of like from behind the back <laughs> corner of us. We had no idea where they came from. And, um, they start talking to us and clearly they're talking in accents. So they're like clearly actors, you know, but I'm like, maybe they're just being funny. You know, people do weird things in festivals. So you just mm -hmm. kind of have to go with it. And they're like, oh, well, we, we have a lovely surprise for you if you're interested enough, if you're daring enough. And we're like, okay. Um, so you need to text this. You need to text this phone number in order for um, you to 
uh, you know, reclaim your prize. Okay. And I was with my friend who was a little bit more like nervous, you know, I, you know me, I, I'm the type of person that I'm like, yeah. And then if I end up and it's like some sort of like drug sex slave thing, like then I'm gonna have to find my way out, you know? But I'm the first person to be like, yeah, let's do it. My friend is a little more careful with her decisions. So she was trying to play it off. You know, she was a little bit nervous so she didn't want to take it off. So she's like, uh, no, I think my phone is dead. And she's like, oh, don't worry. Our butler will do it for you. A guy comes running out of a bush with a felt with a cell phone, okay? <laughs> Runs towards us in a butler suit with a cell phone and gives us the cell phone, okay? And finally my friend was like freaked out and she's like, "No, we can't do this. We need to go." And we're like, "Okay, sure." But I told her I was like, "But like, let's at least see where they go. Like, let's kind of follow them from behind to see what happens." Blah blah blah, and she didn't want. And I was like, "Okay, whatever." I, I was so interested because it was it was too too much too, to like, be a planned. prank. Yeah, it was too much. Right, yeah. right too much planned and then the next year she actually ended up working for that music festival and she asked the team she's like hey guys i had this experience can anybody explain to me what it was because i missed out on the opportunity there is a specific organization at this music festival that does specifically that they target people guests um that are kind of alone somewhere else and they do all of these super strange magical things and then you win If you if you're brave enough to claim the prize, you win like front row tickets to Billy Joel or backstage access wow. or like VIP uh, upgrade, that type of stuff. You know, you just have to be willing to text the number. And I was like, ah, so I cool. knew it. Like I knew it, but you know, I was so impressed to hear that A there's a company that cares enough to do that and B there's a music festival that cares enough to go that far. Mm. You know, and It's literally a company just based off of creating magical moments for somebody that's daring enough. How how can we do that every day? How can I as a person do that every single day? I don't have to be a company to do that. So, if that's me being on a leash and then it all me wearing a collar with a leash on it, it gives the opportunity for someone to say, "Can I grab it and can I walk you?" You know? Mm. And it's that kind of thing that just just by being i think carlos says this just you being you is healing for someone else yeah. just you being you is an open door for somebody to come in right and we're social creatures we want to be playful we we're we're constantly looking especially if we're good at being playful already on ways to play on ways to be witty with our words on ways to 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 kind of have this non-platonic flirting right um with with life with romanticizing life with romanticizing friendships so how can you create that magic um in your everyday life through your costumes through whatever you know um so yeah it makes life so much fun and and better and enjoyable this way that's yeah, unique i've never heard about anything like that yes any experience oh. it's amazing i absolutely love the intention Yeah, and I I mean, you guys remember this. I always say this. My favorite favorite part of breaking down Daybreaker is the floaties. Yeah. What do we do when we break down the floaties? <laughs> It's the whole team. The, okay, so the I'm talking about the big floaties, the big swan floaties, right? Or the flamingo floaties that you put in the pool. Normally, right? We like we we use them at our dance parties. It's the whole team, the whole Daybreaker team laying on this giant <laughs> flamingo with one person squeezing the nozzle so all of the air comes out. It's like a giant cuddle puddle. Yeah. And guess what? We love it. We love yeah. it, right? And it's like 
somebody could just be miserable holding the nozzle for 30 minutes, you know, trying to get all the air out of this flamingo. But we have made a magical moment of it where we're like, everybody stop what you're doing and come <laughs> lay on this flamingo. I'm on pylon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and so we're so we're so capable of doing that every day, small things, you know, um, every day, just small moments that we can make magic, fun, playfulness. And by by you doing that by you and your friends doing that you're creating an energy bubble around you that makes you attractive to other people you know every time that i go out with all of my friends and i mean we, we've experienced this together people are like oh my god you guys are so cool like i want to <laughs> dance with you and then all of a sudden you're like yeah come on in you know and it, it's such an inviting energy that um I've been blessed to live in for so long now because of my friends, but I am very aware that it's not always like that. It wasn't like that for us before Miami. And you and Carlos and a couple of us were like specifically the ones that I felt so drawn towards during daybreak. I remember coming to me like, oh my God, how do you dance so well? I, I, I'm so nervous to dance. You'd be like, just move. And I'd be like, okay, but how? You're like, just move, just just do whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but it's yeah. amazing that you have that energy to like, help other people like help me specifically but obviously help other people to like become more themselves and to have more fun and to have yeah more joy and like just childish silliness like it doesn't Wonderment. have to be serious yeah you don't have to ha like be a dancer to be able to dance you don't have to be able to do these things properly to be able to do it and I love that about you and that that was something that you taught me so personally thank you <laughs> Aww, thanks for sharing that yeah, yeah no it's it's so true it really is you know um I, I've done a lot of uh, like Osho meditations and ecstatic dances, which are, have been super healing for me too, which are considered like very strange, right? Like ecstatic dances alone are really, really weird. Um, and I had my own reservations when I started doing ecstatic dance. But um, ultimately what some of those teach you is like, I, I went to a really good one that it was facilitated. So it wasn't I'm, we're going to play music and everybody dances crazily. No, it was, it was facilitated. So it was, I want you to shake for 10 minutes. I want you to just shake everything, shake your arms, shake your hands, like shake everything that you can't head. Like, don't figure your head, right? Like <laughs> everything. And then it was, now I want you to wiggle for 10 minutes. So it was, Whoa, you know, <laughs> um, and, and then it was something else. Then it was only be an animal or only jump or whatever. Right. And what that helped me with is that it doesn't have to be pretty. If you're yeah. dancing, you're, if you're moving, you're dancing. It doesn't have to look pretty at all. And I think that's a lot of the misconception is, oh, I have to look good when I do it, or I have mm -hmm. to look sexy or whatever the case is. No, like literally, I think the best dancers are just the people that are moving the most. Like if you're, if you're, if you're a beginner shuffler and you don't look that good, you know, and you're kind of like boxy with your steps, whatever, it still doesn't matter because you're out there and you're just moving more than other people that instantly already looks, looks better, yeah. you know? And not in a in, in an aesthetically pleasing way, but just you look like you're enjoying yourself more. Yeah. yeah. So I look for the people that are enjoying themselves. So just jump for the whole two hours that you're a daybreaker, you know, but do it fully lively with a bunch of energy or only roll on the floor or only do handstands or whatever. You know, you don't have to look, you know, you don't have to be twerking, doing a little one, two step. And, you know, you don't have to be the shuffler of the group. But I just think it's so important to be the uh, to do the most liberating movements for yourself i'm for sure the jumper because i don't know how to dance and <laughs> jumping is like movement that i can do just about 
Yeah. You that's know, my, but like, that's my I, I thing is that. jumping. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, you know, but yeah. And it's something as small as if, if you do want to work on something aesthetically pleasing, you know, like shuffling is a great way to start, you know, like people love shuffling once they get into it or just learn arm waves, literally, you know, wrist, elbow, shoulder, shoulder, elbow, wrist, you know, and then only work on that until you're wiggly. And then instantly you can jump and wiggle. And now you're a, a jumping wiggle, not just a, <laughs> a jumping person, you know? <laughs> but is, um, we, we tend to over complicate everything because we are so worried about what other people think about us. And yeah. the truth is most people actually dancing don't even look at you or give a shit about how you're moving. But we yeah. tend to think that we have 300 pairs of eyes staring at us thinking like look at this person dancing and yeah, that's the story going on in our head i love that i think one of the most uh one of the most like liberating sentences i've ever heard is that you really think people care about you but they really don't give a shit even if you if you, even if you're on your skateboard and you fall a gnarly fall and you scrape your whole side face and you're starfished in the middle of the road, right? The person that saw you is going to go, oh, damn. And then they're going to go and be scrolling on Instagram yeah. again, right? Yeah. Like, you you get this wave of shame over you of, oh, my God, I fell in front of my crush and whatever, you know, or, oh, I danced so poorly or I had a piece of pesto stuck in my in my teeth when I was talking to someone, you know? People are so much worried with their own lives that really nobody cares about you that much. And I, I, I think that, to an extent, that's actually a very egotistical way of thinking, right? Is that, oh, like, I can't look bad because what are people going to think about me? Like, people don't give a fuck about <laughs> what they think about you, you know? Um, people are so much worried with their own, with their own lives. And... Uh, I, I think the more you figure that out, the more liber liberating it is, you know, mm. the, the more that you realize that you just need to live for yourself, even even not even live for your parents, because you're going to outlive your parents if you're lucky. Not everybody is that lucky, you know, but that's the plan for most people is, you know, to outlive their parents. So you you have to live your life for you. You have to live your life for, for what you want to do. My dad still doesn't like my tattoos. But... I was literally, I was about to say, okay, great segue. How do your parents feel about your tattoos? Because uh, do you know how many you have? Have you counted recently? Oh, no, I have I know not. You got, I'm, you I'm... got a new one recently, didn't you, as well? Yeah, I got three new little ones. Okay. <laughs> I got a, a lava lamp. Mm. Love that. <laughs> um, a little uh, balloon. Uh, dog. Uh, balloon dog. A yeah. balloon dog with a spiked collar and a dead fish in a bag. <laughs> because why not? I, why? I, I've got to say, you have the most random tattoo ever. And I don't mean that in a I do. bad way, but it's, it's also random. Well, minute, so I have a question. So when did yeah. you get your first tattoo? How old were you? I was, uh, oh God, <laughs> um, parents, please don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, I was... I was 16 and I got it um, in the garage of some guy's house. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Everybody listening, yeah. please don't do that. Go to an actual yeah, shop never, that's clean. Never do that, please. Go to a professional tattoo shop. Wait until you're 18, <laughs> definitely. Um, never do that. But I, I'm fine. I came out alive. Um, do you a little messed up, but alive. <laughs> Absolutely not. My first tattoo, uh, 
going back to the age 16, the age 16 was uh, when my mom turned Buddhist. Mm -hmm. So my first tattoo is the Buddhist mantra called Om Nani Padme Om. Mm -hmm. um, it's the Buddhist mantra of love and compassion. Mm. So uh, Om is the the three concepts of body, mind, and spirit. Padme is, um, oh, I don't want to get it wrong now. Om Mani Padme Om. Oh, yeah, I'm saying it wrong. Om Mani. Mani is jewel. So uh, in the same way that a crystal, a jewel, you have mm -hmm. to constantly polish it, refine it, keep it in a safe place. The mm -hmm. same way that we need to take care of ourselves, right? We constantly need to work on polishing ourselves on refining ourselves. We're constantly changing. So we can't just leave ourselves in the dust. We constantly have to find a way to, how do we become wiser? How do we keep being a more beautiful version of ourselves? Padme means um, lotus flower. So uh, the lotus flower grows in the mud. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a beautiful flower that comes from something so dirty. So it's supposed to represent us as humans, no matter how ugly our upbringing was, no matter how ugly of a person we used to be, we have the ability to flourish into something that's very similar to a beautiful flower. Mm -hmm. um, Om Mani Padme Hom. So Om is the indivisibility, which is basically a circle. So it's a never ending cycle. You can't have one without having the rest. Beautiful. And uh, that was the, it's, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's the, the first Buddhist mantra that night that the monk spoke to me. Um, that's, uh, that was the, meditation that they were practicing so i was given the ability to practice that uh, mantra and i got it tattooed on me mm. and so a few years later you have now you don't even know how many tattoos what yeah. what does it represent for you why are you doing them why do you keep going back and and when you pick an artist and a design what's your process to pick them Yeah, um, I think it definitely uh, started for me. Uh, I, you know, it, my birthday is December 3rd. And uh, that's, uh, if you guys know, during Art Basel here in Miami. Mm -hmm. So one time I was out with uh, a friend of a group of my friends. And we were walking around the streets and everything. And we were kind of just talking about life and everything. And my, my friend at the time, she told me, she said, well, the thing is, you are artwork. Like, you are artwork. And like that sentence stuck with me forever. I'm like, damn, what a fucking compliment. <laughs> I am artwork. Hell yeah. You know, and um, I already had two tattoos then. But the moment she said that, it was like, wow, we, we are all works of art. And if we carry ourselves that way, people notice that. People notice that you exude a warm energy. People notice that you have a confidence. People notice that you are artwork or they want to get to know you. They know that you have a certain magic to you. And um I, I consider my body like a, a little art gallery. I'm creating and, and attracting my own art pieces, my own treasures. That's the way that I see my tattoos. And um, it's funny because your tattoos, at least for me, they change meaning as I get older. Maybe I got them for a certain reason. Maybe I got them for shits and giggles. Um, but as I get older or as people ask about them, uh, they change definitions. I love to ask people, Well, what does it mean to you? And then depending on what they tell me, that says a lot about them as a person. It also um, adds meaning to my tattoo. So maybe I had one that didn't mean anything, but the way that people react to it is like, oh, well, you know what? That's a lovely little piece that I'm going to keep with me. Mm. So it's the ability to constantly be transformative with something that's permanent. And um, I think there's a beauty to that. And uh, how do I choose my artist? I mean, 
Uh, I've traveled for quite a lot of them. Um, I like quirky and strange. Uh, so, you know, I have an alien tattooed on me, lava lamps, dogs, a chili pepper. Um, but yeah, just things that resonate with me. Do you plan on getting a full sleeve? I want to finish my arm. Yeah, I want to finish my arm with a bunch of different pieces, smaller pieces and stuff. I'm, I actually have to go to Canada for my next one. That's going to fill my biggest space here. I'm going to get oh, a snake. She'll, she'll come with you. She wants to get one. There's something there. in Canada that I love. <laughs> and I, like, oh. I, keep, I was saying to Jamie for years, like, we need to go to Canada so I can get a tattoo by this girl. But yeah, yet, but. I'm going in April. So so if you can get your tattoo at the same time. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. Let's we do need it. to talk about that. How do your parents react to your tattoos then? Because you said that your dad still doesn't like them. How did your mum react as well when you got that first one? Because obviously you were younger than you should have been and not, you know, at a tattoo studio. But then it was also something that represented her and, you know, her, like, was she angry or did she kind of accept it? Especially because she was the more lenient one, you said. Not no, she was the stricter one. The, yeah, the, the more stricter one. one, yeah. How did she feel about that? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> um, so my second tattoo was uh, in regards to my dad, right? So I got two tattoos. My first tattoo, my first two tattoos were one for my mom, one for my dad, and uh, my, they're they're both pretty big on on my body because I was hiding them at the time. <laughs> I hid my tattoos for probably four years because I thought <laughs> that I was going to get kicked out of my house if I ever got tattoos. And I got into a very serious car accident. And my mom had to shower me. So I was so afraid that when my mom was in the shower with me and she's like, okay, well, let's go take off your clothes. Like, you know, let's get to it. Let's get to the shower. I was like, no, no, but stand outside. I can do it. Like, I'm fine. And my mom was just like, you almost died. Like <laughs> you almost died in this car accident. Like, just let me take off your clothes. You know, like, let mm. me help you. Cause you're not going to shower alone. Cause it's dangerous. And I was more concerned and afraid at that moment to show oh. my tattoos than I was about half dying in a car accident, you know? Yeah. And um, finally I was like, okay, fine, but you're not gonna like it, you know? And so I took off all my clothes in front of my mom and just kind of stayed there literally naked, like <laughs> naked with my shame, naked with my, with my actual body, just, you know, in fear of what was gonna happen. Uh, and uh you know at the end of the day she's like oh my god like no wonder you wanted to hide it but like i can't be mad at this situation because obviously there's greater things happening right now but um i lived in so much fear and shame for such a long time um of just what my parents would think of me and you know um whether or not they would accept me because of it and i constantly had those fears it's it probably wasn't until I probably half filled my arm where finally my, I think my parents were like, okay, this is a thing and it's not going to stop, <laughs> you know? But even when I was getting more tattoos, it was still like a ting of disappointment, like a ting of like, uh, oh, I know that it's not your thing. I know that you're not interested. So it was hard to deal with that. You know, it's hard to deal with um, not feeling fully accepted um, especially when you, with each tattoo I get, I feel more liberated. I feel more myself. Mm -hmm. So to kind of disappoint your parents, when you start to feel so much more liberated is such a tough tug and pull, you know, because y you feel great about your progress. You feel great about where you're, where you're heading in life, but you also have this ting in your heart of like, well, I feel bad for, for, ch for changing their, their perspective. Mm. on me on who I am mm. 
And that's not just tattoos, but I think that's in the way that I've chosen to live my life. I think that's the thing is that parents try and bring you up the best they can and they have expectations and dreams for you. And then when you don't quite do what they want you to do, it can be hard for them. A bit. It can, oh, this is the thing I said, I always mess up my words, but it can also no, be no, hard. It can also be hard for you because you kind of got to do what your parents want you to do, but then also live your life. And it's a, it's a hard kind of balance. balance, yeah, between the two. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's anybody with parents struggles with that, you know, and um, I think especially too coming from like immigrant parents, right? Uh, this is a very big Miami story that most people come from immigrant parents. So it's like, oh, my parents flew over here from Cuba or, you know, came over here with a really tough story because they were escaping war or whatever. Yeah. And like, I want to get into art, you know? Yeah. And so people like they're afraid or they don't want to do the passions or they don't want to live the life that they can because they feel like they have to uphold themselves to certain standards or to keep continuing to make the family proud or to have the same determination and strength that their parents did, you know, but we're living in such a different time. And I think it's so important to remember where we come from, to remember our roots, but it's also important to just remember that we're living our lives. That you, Our parents did what they could for us so that we could be more artistic, so that we could be more creative. Um, you know, they, they suffered for us so that we could live a more beautiful and imaginative and creative life. So um, I think it's really just about finding the balance, you know? And um, yeah, it's just, I think there's a lot of a lot of fear with our parents, a lot of fears with our parents. I have a very, very good friend who, um, you know, she's lesbian, so she's interested in women. She is in a very committed relationship and her parents don't know anything mm. um, out of fear, out of fear of, of what would be, of, of what would happen if they knew. Mm. And I can't imagine, I couldn't imagine living two lives living two lives where I am fully liberated and free and happy and not being able to share that with mm. my parents. You know, my parents know that I'm insane. My parents know that I go clubbing alone. <laughs> my parents know that I show up home at five o'clock in the morning and that's early, you know? And I have to deal with the consequences of what my parents think. They don't know if I'm drinking all night. They don't know if I'm doing drugs. They don't know if I'm going out and having sex. Like. You know, it's scary. It's scary mm -hmm. as a parent because your daughter is showing up at six o'clock in the morning almost every weekend. No, I mean, not almost every weekend, but, um, <laughs> you know, and uh, you, of course you can think, uh, you know, drugs, brothel, yeah. whatever. Mm -hmm. um, in reality, like I'm, I'm dancing. I'm probably not even drinking that night. Sometimes I do. And then I'm like watching the sunset with the three people that said, hey, let's go watch the sunset. <laughs> You know, but um, my parents aren't living my life, so they don't know. So they have their own judgments, perceptions, and um, that's something that I have to deal with. I have mm -hmm. to deal with the same sort of judgment from my family members, from the way that they see me, you know, um, and that's just a part of life. We're always dealing with judgments and perceptions of other people. And I think the only thing that really matters is you need to know who you are. Solid advice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it reminds me of something that I've heard recently on a podcast and 
I'm not sure exactly how it was, it was phrased, but it was something along the lines of we need to stop putting comprehension before compassion. Like we feel like we have to understand everything before we can be compassionate or loving towards people when it's okay not to understand. Like I don't need to understand why you want a dog tattoo on your arm to, you know, be okay with it. I can just be... If it makes you happy, that's fine. I don't need to understand when we tend to try to understand everything going on in life and in other people's life. And yeah, the way this guy framed it, it was like way better than I'm putting it, but that's the idea. No, I, I think that was beautifully said. I think that was beautifully said. That was a really, really well worded. Um, and yeah, I think that's super beautiful. And I think what you guys are doing alone in this podcast is amazing. Like, I think what this podcast has given you guys the ability to do is you have learned how to be exceptional listeners and exceptional questioners and exceptional conversationalist, right? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about just interesting people. You you want to know more about a person. So the person normally talks mostly about themselves the whole time, you know, but I think you guys are learning to be such superhuman people um, because you are learning to be compassionate more than you are comprehending. Of course, you need to listen to a person's story, but you're here to listen openly to anybody that you consider interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which is everybody, and, by the way. Everybody has a story. <laughs> and that's what I was going to say. Every single person has a story and everybody deserves to be heard. Mm. Everybody deserves to be heard. But it's interesting you say that because you know what? This one thing that I haven't done yet because I'm kind of scared of doing is interviewing someone that I know I'm going to disagree strongly with interesting like interesting. this is something that scared the shit out of me because i'm scared of being <laughs> too vocal and too like going in the confrontation and not being respectful enough that this person has and you know it would be someone with like a strong i don't know i don't have any specific example but like someone that really like i don't know has a completely different idea like someone really racist you know for example or someone very like i don't know uh politically involved in some random shit that I really don't get like I, w I would struggle to interview someone like that to be compassionate without trying to you know I would struggle with that yeah absolutely I think that I mean that's I feel like that's a whole nother podcast series but I would love it I, mean? I would love to be able to do it yeah I, w I would challenge you to do it you know because at the end of the day uh, we are all human you know and I think uh, a lot of the times we put a lot of things in front of that but uh, our political views, different religions, uh, you know, race, uh, gender, you know, or, or orientation. Um, and I think we just forget, like, we're just the human race. Like, we are just all humans. And a lot of people come from different backgrounds, uh, different upbringings. And uh, that makes a difference in, in a person. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would challenge you to do it, especially if it's something that your heart is asking you to do, because that means that, you know, maybe that's a lesson in it for for you yourself, you know, sure. um, and we don't know what the lesson is yet. Right. We don't know if the lesson is compassion or setting boundaries where you're like, we're never going to do that again. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> we don't know until we've done it. You know, again, there's no right or wrong. There's just right and left. So, mm. but yeah, I think that's super interesting. And it's true. I, we need to learn how to be compassionate with with everybody around us. Yeah. Even if we disagree. <laughs> Even if we disagree. Yeah. I think yeah. especially if you yeah, disagree. Yeah. 
it's yeah. easy to be compassionate with people that you understand and that you yeah. you kind of get them yeah mm. yeah well with all that being said thank you so much i've absolutely loved this episode i know i would do i've been wanting to do this one for pretty much since we started i think you're on top of my list I had no idea what we'd talk about, but I've actually thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for sharing your story with us. Guys, I love you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I've got two questions before we end. Yeah. One is an easy one, a simple one, but uh, your full name is Gabrielle Demer. You go by Demer every time. I I think I've learned very late that your name was not Demer. yeah why is that uh most people actually don't know uh that my name is gabrielle um people get very confused about it they're like what yeah. that was not your name yeah. um but yeah full name is gabrielle loose demer um demer is obviously dutch but um i started when i was in middle school you know i played sports i was a soccer player uh so demer became the thing and uh i was born and raised a tomboy you know i never liked makeup i never liked uh, dresses and frilly and glitter never um so demer just felt like i resonated more with it you know um and i stuck with it but uh, i went to a personal empowerment retreat with carlos and i was actually challenged at that retreat to start using gabrielle because I was living so much in my masculine with Demer that it's like a completely different, um, a completely different identity, right? So it's interesting because now I use Demer amongst my greatest friends, but um, I use Gabrielle when I'm first introducing pe- myself to people. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how a name can completely change your persona and how you act and how you believe of yourself and I don't know it's 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 interesting how it can change your energies I guess so I don't know just something within you can change how you absolutely where you talk and absolutely I I think we live in the identity of our names you know and uh my my full name Gabrielle Luce Luce is Dutch for Lucia uh but Luce in Spanish means light and Gabriel the angel Gabriel in the bible is the angel that tells the virgin Mary that she's pregnant with the holy spirit so um my name correlates to angel of light and i think i since knowing that i have lived differently and i now uphold myself to that and i try to live like an angel in light in this world because of it so every single person's name has a meaning you know and uh, we should try to find and live up to that meaning as much as we as much as we can is not one of your instagram account it is yes <laughs> i was i was shaking i was i'm pretty sure one of them is angel of something <laughs> yeah a- angel de luz yeah which means angel of light yeah uh, that's where okay. it came from here we go <laughs> yeah yeah one last question it's for you rosie oh okay so this is one that we ask everybody so you might have heard if you've listened to the episodes but if you could speak to somebody who you think is the most interesting person, so it could be somebody dead or alive, famous or not, it really doesn't matter, who would you choose to speak to and why? That would be uh, my grandfather on my dad's side. I never got to meet my grandfather on my dad's side. Uh, he was a European man who moved to Costa Rica, um, started a hotel business over there, um, known as the Royal Dutch, very famous in its time. And 
any single person that talks about my grandfather talks about him as if he's still in the room. Everybody can mimic who he was, the type of person he was. He was a person pleaser. He made everybody feel important in a room. And uh, a, a just apparently a very magical man. And I would have loved to get to know him. Mm. That literally brought tears to my eyes because mine is my mum's dad who I never met. So I like, I would, what's the word? Relate. Relate to that so much. Like that's exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. And there's an amazing song uh, called Taylor Swift by Beans on Toast. I'm going to okay. send it to you now. But for anybody that listens to this, you have to listen to it. Uh, and basically, the artist is saying he's making up a song. It's like, if you could have dinner with anybody dead or alive, who would it be? And he goes, oh, I don't know, like Taylor Swift. And then he starts to come up with all of these different like stories of like, let's invite Bon Jovi, too. And let's invite Aerosmith and whatever. And then he looks around around the room of this, you know, imaginary house. And he's like, I don't know anybody here. He's like, mm. how come my wife isn't here? How come my family's not mm. here? How come my whatever? So sometimes we get caught up in like, you know, if I could meet anyone in the world, but in reality, the most precious moments are with the ones closest to us. Great time. I, I think, <laughs> now we didn't ask this question at the beginning, so I'm not sure how many guests actually answer this question, but maybe only one or two, including you, not two or three, didn't pick someone famous. Yeah. Mm. Like, 90% of people pick someone more or less famous or something like that. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, can we can we split that question? You know, can yeah. we ask? Can, can, I think that's a, a better way to ask the question. You know what I mean? Like, because people do ask dead or alive and you're like, well, that's hard now because I want to talk to my grandpa, but I also would love to talk to Lin-Manuel Miranda or whatever his name is. Lynn miranda manuel whatever. The guy that created Hamlet. Like, I would love to sit down and talk to that guy. Oh my God, mm. a genius. Um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of us, you know, yeah, I would just love to talk to my grandfather. I never had a, a, a true, you know, grandparent experience. They were all passed yeah. away before. And my military fought a grandfather who's the only one alive, you know, he's military. So a little bit <laughs> reserved, you know, yeah. quiet, less words, but, um, I would have loved to have a grandparent relationship. Mm. Thank you so much, Demir, for speaking oh so openly about everything that we talked about uh thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and i really appreciate you and your time and your energy and everything you brought to us while we were together in miami because it was amazing i know too short please come back <laughs> we will do we soon will. <laughs> i know but thank you so much thank you so much for wanting to hear everybody's story literally for making people feel seen and heard and especially me you know i was nervous i was like ah, i don't i'm not interesting enough it wasn't you know? that bad I right had to, like, See? i had to knock myself out of it i'm like no it's true everybody's interesting everybody yeah. needs a story but you did thanks, get guys <laughs> <laughs> um if anybody wants to get in contact with you just to chat and say hey I listen to your episode what's the best way to contact you uh, well, yeah what's up or text or whatever okay um yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Um, if everybody's listening, enjoyed it, make sure you go and say hello to Demma. Um, leave us a review if you haven't done already. And we'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye. Thank you. Bye.